came off the belt. And it's not because I ate too much over Christmas either. Excuse me. I don't think that's going to work, but is that all right? Okay, I got thumbs up from the back, and I'll try not to move too much. And I realize I move too fast for some of you. How many of you, like my wife, are suffering from Christmas and New Year's fatigue today? Oh, come on. All right. Reminds me of the fact, and it's a verifiable fact, that if everybody, if, if some of you nod off today, I, I fully understand, that if you laid everybody end-to-end in church who, who fell asleep in the row, if you laid them end-to-end, they'd be entirely more comfortable than falling asleep sitting up. I uh, retired from my position as associate pastor at Cornerstone two years ago, end of January. And I'm here to confess that I'm not doing as well as I thought I would be doing. My friends who were already retired said, smiled at me and said, just do whatever you want. That sounded pretty good to a certain extent, but uh, you can't live that way. We, we don't live as believers in Jesus doing whatever we want. Now, they didn't expect me to go out and do something crazy or stupid or unbiblical, but, you know, do what you want. Well, there's a problem. There's a lot of things that I want to do, and I'm not sure if that's what God wants me to do. So I'm, I'm still working through that. You say, you really are slow. It took you two years to work through that? Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm slow. I've learned to live with that. I, I share with you this morning uh, the fact that the passage I'm going to share with you, and that came by way of an invitation from Pastor Dave back in November. He said, I'd like you to preach on New Year's Day, and I think he's still with his family, with Sarah's family, I think, because I don't see him right down here. Um, And I kind of expected that to come because I told him way back here, if you're really in a gym and you need somebody to fill in, I'd be happy to do that, assuming I'm in town. Uh, I like what Pastor Dave does in many, many areas of our ministry here at Cornerstone. One of them is he plans ahead. And he wanted to know, what do I need here? Move the mic the little bit, what? Well, I can't hold it, though. It doesn't stay. Yeah, if, you, if I bend it, I'll probably break it. So, that better? Better? Okay. He plans ahead, and he wanted to know shortly after asking me what will be your text and what will be the title of your message. Here's the verse I initially thought of. Acts 20, verse 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I entitled it a job description for 2023, and I'm thinking I've dug myself a little bit of a hole. Because for 50 years, from 1970 to 2020, I had a job description. I worked in churches. I worked in parachurch ministries. I worked for a 
a uh, mission, a large mission organization, and I always had a job description. And I still need one. I still need one. This is to say that I preach this sermon to me before I preach it to you. And that may not mean anything to you because you don't have the opportunity to preach or had the opportunity to preach as many times as I have. That if I don't preach a sermon to myself before I preach it to somebody else, you know what I am? I'm at least, uh, I, I at least lack integrity or I have the danger of being a hypocrite. You preach to yourself and by God's grace you understand that we share humanity in this room. We share difficulty, we share temptation, we share all kinds of things because we are still in the flesh. We still have an old nature, we still struggle, and we want to know what God wants us to do and when we want to do it to please him and to honor him. All that being said, I made the choice and I came back a few, like a couple of weeks later and I said, what does this verse have to do with a job description for 2023? So I obviously had to do another thing that I think is important in preaching. It's not only to preach the message to yourself, it's to instruct and to train your listeners as to how you got what you got in terms of a is that English proper? English, how you got what you got? Sounds like something I may have said growing up in New York City. But it, if, if I got what I got for a reason, I looked at the content of the paragraph in which this verse was found. I looked at the context and I compared scripture with scripture. So the message, I believe, is biblical, but I want kind of an undertow for this to you to understand that you can understand the word of God for yourself when you read the content carefully, when you consider the context, and when you compare scripture with scripture. The spirit of God, as the hymn writer said, the spirit of God can be your teacher. Spirit of God, our teacher be showing the things of Christ to me. I was supposed to pray at this point, but I think uh, Aria covered that base. So we're going we're gonna to move on. I'm going to read the text from Acts chapter 20. And I want you to follow along. I'm reading beginning at 17 and going to verse 24. The focus of the message is going to be verse 24, but I, in looking at the context prior to it, a couple of things popped up that I said, well, Lord, that makes a lot of sense, looking at a new year. Listen to the reading of God's word, and I'm going to make you do something that I like people to do after I read God's word. I say what? This is the word of the Lord, and you say, thanks be to God. Now for Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, 
testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance towards God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, and now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. I read that and said, that's not the place I want to go, where afflictions and uh, imprisonment await me. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. A brief thumbnail look at the context of these words. Paul had uh, three years of ministry in Ephesus. And uh, we read that in chapter 20, verse 31, where it says this. Therefore be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. Three-year ministry. He leaves Ephesus uh, under threat of his life. There was a huge uh, uproar in chapter 19. And uh, part of what he did was to backtrack and do follow-up on ministries that he had had previously before Ephesus in Macedonia, encouraging the saints. From Macedonia, he travels by ship, and he's on his way to Jerusalem because he's convinced that God wants him there in Acts chapter 20. We won't read all about that. But he decides to go past Ephesus to Miletus, just a little bit south from Ephesus, and he calls for the elders of the church. These are people that he has invested in for three years. And he meets them in in Miletus. He called for them, and uh, here's how the Lord impressed upon me truths from Acts 20, 17 to 24 that relate to entering into a new year. I don't want you to feel like I'm twisting the scripture to fit the title. You may feel that way, but I have a clear conscience that I'm not. Was I'm reading the text, and I'm rereading the text, And it says, now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you. What what he's doing is meeting with those who knew him, those to whom he ministered, and he reviews. He took a review of what he did while he was there. And I said, Lord, that sounds virtually logical to me. If you wanted to make this year an improvement over last year, you review what you did. What does he say? You want to understand what the Bible has to say, just circle all the verbs when you read them because that's where all the truth hangs out. What does it say? How I lived among you in verse 18. Verse 19, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears. Verse 20, declaring to you anything that was profitable. And again in verse 20, and teaching you in public and from house to house. And verse 21, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward Christ. 
toward, toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. You know how I lived. Look at what I did. He's not trying to impress them. He's reviewing his life because he's facing something that is unknown and does not look very promising to him. I don't know what you think about when you think of 2023. If we get more of the same old, same old, you're going to be like me. You're going to be half angry and half depressed. What in the world's going on? He looks back. He rehearses his life. This is what I did when I was with you. Now, I'm impressed because I'm 77, and I know some names, but most names I don't know anymore. I, I remember people, but I say I should know this person, but I can't remember their name. Some of you can. I thought somebody would say amen on that. but <laughs> Memory's not as good as it used to be. I, I was blessed by the fact that he remembered. He could recall what he did. I asked myself, can you recall what you did last year? <clears throat> not all the details, but I'm sure there's things that I did that I shouldn't have done. I didn't do some things that I should have done. I look back and, and, and uh, I, I wonder is uh, what I did was good and what I did was not so good. What I did was uh, uh, that I neglected. Things that went well, things that did not go well. And, and I can look back and say, if next year is going to be more fruitful and more God-honoring, there's probably some things I need to change. That's where we begin. How do we look at a new year? How do we want this coming year to be what? Better than last year. We don't have control of what happens in our society and what in, 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 in our government. We don't have control over that. We do have control about the decisions that we make what? To serve God with a whole heart and do it with cheer. To serve God in a way that brings honor to our Savior. To care about one another in a context of a world that has grown cold and hard and dark. It's always been that way, but it seems to be more that way than usual. He looked back. He looked back. What impressed me is he looked back with guys that were close to him. And he could share with them, this is what I did with my life while I was with you. You want some help in course correction as far as the coming year is concerned? Is there something that you would like to change? Just one thing. Just one thing. Based on looking back as how last year was for you. May God give you insight and may he give me insight as we do that. And I think it helps to do it with someone or someone's else who know us. To help us. Say what? One thing needs to change. Paul rehearsed his past. And he also was realistic about his present. This is all context before we get to verse 24. What does God say in verse 22? And now behold, I am going to Jerusalem constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there except that the Holy Spirit testifies me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions wait me. He's got a little track record as to what happens to him when he shows up and preaches the gospel. 
I don't know what strikes you about verse 22, but I circled in my Bible, I am going. And I also circled in my Bible, not knowing. Anybody there today? I'm going and I'm not knowing. Tom and I, we're more than blood brothers. We're not blood brothers. We're just real brothers in the body of Christ. I am going, not knowing. Who likes that? Anybody like that? Why does God say we don't walk by sight, we walk by faith? Because in our going, we don't know. I'm going, not knowing. Two times in, I probably could get more than two times, but two times the Lord brought back to my memory that I left a youth pastorate in Texas in 1973 not knowing where I was going. I knew where I was going. I was going to New York. I was going to stay in my parents' attic. It was bedroom. It wasn't an attic. I had one wife and one son. I had every intention to go into a full-time teaching ministry of some kind, and every door I knocked on closed. I was going not knowing. The Lord turned my life in those four months from June to through September to go and serve as a pastor in a church in Baltimore. And it's a long story as to how he got me there. But it changed my whole life in terms of the direction. No longer being a teacher per se or a full-time teacher or a career teacher to being a career, quote-unquote, career pastor. I didn't know where I was going. I'm sure there were people who knew me and said, what in the world's the matter with you? You leave a job and you don't have another job to go to. I was blessed beyond my ability to take in as I look back that my dad never chastised me for that. He said, he said to me this, if all you knew that you were supposed to leave, that's all you can do. I'm going and I'm not knowing. When we decided to go to Africa... 2003, we ended up getting there in 2004. People would ask you, where are you going to live? And what would we say? Well, I don't know. What are you going to do? Well, I'm not really sure. I got a one-line job description that says visit missionaries and encourage them. Sounds pretty good to me. How are we going to do that? I don't know. You need to raise 40 grand. Was it 40 grand we had to raise? ahead of time for a vehicle and a whole bunch of, a bunch of other things. The mission knew more about that than I did. Plus, whatever the monthly support was. How are you going to get all that money? What's the answer, Matt? I don't know. I don't know. Not knowing. I'm going, but I'm not knowing. And if we're honest, all of us are in the same boat. You may say, I've got a job, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. I hope you don't sound like those in James chapter 4. Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What's your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live or do this or that. Does he ever hit you over the head with that truth? If the Lord wills, you'll live and do this or that. 
And I don't think the Lord in Scripture, there's too much evidence in chapter 20, verse 24, is a lot of evidence that what we do is inconsequential. It's not just this or that. If you're interested in doing God's will as you live here on his earth. But we don't know. And we don't like it that we don't know, and we don't like it when it's not the way we'd like it to be. But that's what the Scripture says. Be realistic about now. I don't know about you, but I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. Proverbs 27.1 says what? You don't know what a day will bring forth. Does that mean we're supposed to huddle in a corner and be afraid? No. I looked at Dave's shirt today. And what does it say, Dave? Faith over fear. Faith over fear. I don't know. I'm going and I'm not knowing. That's a truth to embrace. We don't know. Isn't it great to know a God who does know? Whose promises never change. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He'll never let you down. He'll never, ever, ever turn his back on you. So what you don't know about, you don't have to worry about. You can make your plans and the Lord says, I will direct your steps, Proverbs 16, 9. He's not against planning. He's for planning, but hold your plans loosely because you don't know what God's got in mind. Paul had a hint, didn't he? He said, I, I, I get from the Holy Spirit that uh, wherever I go in every city that imprison and imprisonment and afflictions await me. I'm, I'm just saying, let's be realistic about now. I'm not a super student of culture, but what comes to me as I look at our world and as I look at our country, I see a mixture of depravity. It's dark out there. Depravity and what I would call, uh, what's the word I'm fishing for? Idiocy. Insanity, that's the word I'm looking for, insanity. People denying what is absolutely obvious and doing what is absolutely foolish, absolutely foolish. And we got to live in that, okay? Let's just, I say, well, I don't want to overstate this. Just accept it? No, because God wants you to change some of it in your sphere of influence in the world in which you live. You don't, want, you don't want to be wicked and evil, and you don't want to be stupid. You want to serve God effectively. But we live in a, in a, in a world that's dark and depraved and insane. There is where the light shines the brightest, doesn't it? Where it's darkest, the light shines the brightest. So in being realistic about our now should not keep us from what? Following Jesus step by step by step. We finally get to the job description in verse 24, which says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. And you read that and you say, what, what, what is the Lord down on us? Does he want us to hate ourselves? No. He goes on to say, if only... I think a New American Standard says, in order that. 
I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This job description is not full of specifics that I can say, well, this is God's will for your life. This is your ministry. This is the race that you need to run. But I can say with authority because God said so. There are three things in this verse that you need to know and I need to know about my life starting today, the rest of the day, tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, as long as God would have you here. If he doesn't take you home through death or if Jesus does, come not, come, if Jesus does not return in the coming year. And he could. He knows when that's going to happen. Be responsible for your future. Well, how do you do that? Number one, what does it say? Consider my life. Consider my life. I don't account, I don't add it up this way, that my life is of any value or is it precious to me unless or if only or in order that I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus. What a statement. What a statement. He knew what really mattered. It wasn't about me. It wasn't about me. I think they got me up here early today, so we're, we're still doing good. We're still doing good. If only I may finish my course and the ministry I receive from the Lord Jesus. What this answers for me is who's in charge of my life. Is it me? Do I call the shots? Or does God call the shots? We were blessed. Uh, someone in our church family gave us a book by Paul David Tripp that is a, uh, an Advent devotional. And really, as we've read through it day by day, uh, it's kind of like a theological primer. And this is something that Paul David Tripp wrote about sovereignty, comparing the sovereignty of God with what he termed self-sovereignty. This idea of considering your own life and how you look at it there's three words, basic words that are used to translate life in the language of the New Testament. This is the word that speaks about your own self, your own self. What Paul David Tripp says is what I'm about to say will probably hurt your feelings. The sovereign Savior came to earth because sin causes all of us to live as self-appointed self-sovereigns. We all put ourselves in the center of our world. We all are way too focused on what we want, what we feel, and what we think we need. God's not against desire when it's his desire. He's not against feelings when we have to deal with them. He's not against meeting our needs. Doesn't he promise to do that? Trouble is we're not satisfied with that. What I really need, Lord, is a Ferrari. What I really need is an... What's the biggest TV they make now? What I really need is what the guy across the street has, and I want it bigger and better. So I can put it in his face. 
I think I'm overstating, but the principle's the same. We all want control over things that we will never control. Oh, man, am I in that one? Am I in that one? We all get angry when someone or or something gets in the way of our self-designed sovereign plans. We all want to write our own rules, and when we break God's rules, we want to be able to do it without negative consequences. We go through days without consciously thinking about God's will or his glory. We allow our hearts to be captured by the idol of idols, and he says the idol of idols is self. When you try in to, when you buy into your own sovereignty, you not only compromise your spirituality, but you lose a piece of your humanity. You forget who you are. I forget who I am. God is God. There is no other. And you're not God. I'm not God. Self-sovereignty. We know it's pretty obvious we shouldn't waste our life. We should invest it. But God says... Uh, Other things, don't be anxious about your life. He says in Matthew 6, don't try to save your life. He says, I'd rather you lose your life in doing my will than to save your life, make your life more comfortable or better, or take... I'm probably going to be misunderstood when I say that, but uh, is it Josh Harris or somebody who wrote a book about have your teenagers choose the hard thing? Am I getting that right? I think I am. Choose to do hard things. We're looking for the easy way. Did Jesus take the easy way? Did he? No. We try to protect our life. We try to save our life instead of losing it and doing his will. Your life is not about, obviously, the, communi- the accumulation of stuff, according to Luke twelve fifteen. Or trying to please people, live your life to please your Lord. How do you do that? How do you do that? I looked at the latter portion of verse 24 and it seemed to me like this is how you do that. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. I don't know what it was. Two, three weeks ago, I tried to run. Oh, that was awful. <laughs> and, and, I, I, and I know I don't look it, but uh, there were years in my life where I would be running two or three, that three miles, three times a week, you know. Now my left knee hurts. My right shoulder hurts. My feet hurt. I'm just happy to go up and down the steps. And I get slower at that as the days go by. It's interesting that the Lord uses that picture over and over, doesn't it? Hebrews chapter 12, you got a race to run. I like the phrase that says this. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, and I think the implication might be they're cheering us on. Don't quit. Come on, keep at it. Let us lay aside every weight that which weighs us down, and the sin that clings to us closely. Let us run with endurance, which basically means don't give up, don't quit. The race that is set before us. Who sets that race? Sometimes in self-sovereignty we set our own course. This is the way it's going to be, Lord. 
and uh, you put your stamp of approval on it, and I'll tell everybody that you're wonderful. You have stuff come into your life. It's already come into your life. It's coming into your life. It will come into your life that you don't want. And God has said, this is part of your race. The word course can have to do with a race. The word course can have to do with a vocation. Isn't that interesting? The course of your life. Some of you are old like me. You look back and you say, God did this. He did this. He did this. He did this. And by God's grace, I was obedient and obedient and obedient. And then I look at this. I look at that. But there's a course. God, how did I get to where I am? It wasn't my own ingenuity. It wasn't because I was so smart. It wasn't because of anything other than God set the course. And he said, what I want you to do is what? He wants you to finish. He wants you to finish. Now, I try to take that practically and say, if I'm looking at my life in the last year, is there something I should have finished that I didn't? Maybe it's something I didn't even start that the Spirit of God tapped me on the shoulder and said, I want you to do this, and I kind of blew it off. Is there something God wants you to finish? You don't know when your life will be finished. I don't know when my life will be finished, but doesn't the Spirit of God get very specific with us about these things? I believe so. I don't know if you've understood and, and, and come face to face with the accusation of the evil one in your life. He basically says to you, you're no good. You never will be any good. You never were any good. And you're basically a nothing. God's spirit never works that way. He gets very, very specific with things that need to be changed or things that need to be done or things that need to be finished. There's something in your life, there's something in my life that God says, hey, I want you to work on this and I want you, I I don't know whether I'll be here to see it finished, but I'm going to work on that. I'm going to work on that. Finish the course. Finish the course. Finish the race. I fought a good fight, is what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4-7. I have finished the race. Can I say that? Well, sometimes I think, Lord, I'm not finished yet. I'm going slower, but I'm still racing. (laughs) He's got a great sense of humor. He doesn't change his his, uh, metaphor to fit my slowness. He says, "I I still got stuff for you to do, stuff for you to finish. Maybe it's ministry in somebody's life. Maybe it's something within your family. Maybe it's something within your business or your job or your neighborhood. You started, but you didn't finish. You left it undone. It comes down to when you're running a race as to which way are you going. You going your way or are you going God's way? The last thing he says is he speaks of the ministry that I've received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. When I use words, I don't use words like this. This is God's word. You say, well, Paul's an apostle. He's got a ministry. I like to ask people sometimes who are just, let, let me put it this way. And I don't, I don't say this in any way to say, well, your life is every day. You're everyday people. 
you know, we're, we're, uh, 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 what would you call it? We're, we're full time in 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 the ministry, right? Where have I learned the most? I've learned the most from everyday people who've suffered better than I suffer. Who what represent Jesus where they are, not looking for accolades. All they're doing what is doing by God's grace, doing that which honors Jesus and evidences faithfulness to him in what they do. But I speak to everyday people all the time, and I say, hey, man, what's your ministry? And some people can say, my ministry is this. Some people say, well, I'm just a plumber. I don't have a ministry. Or I'm a school teacher. Or I am a, uh, a mother of... <laughs> I'm thinking of my granddaughter, not my granddaughter, but my daughter-in-law. I'm a mother of nine. No, you're not just that. You are a minister of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 4 through 6, basically says this. The Spirit distributes the gifts. I would hope and would love it if everybody in this room knew what their spiritual gift was, or at least they were trying it out. Because everyone in this room is gifted. We don't just put some people in the gifted class. You know what I mean? Everybody has at least one spiritual gift. The Spirit gives the gifts. Interesting that the next verse says that the Lord assigns the ministries. He said, I got this ministry. I received it from the Lord. The Lord assigns the ministry. This is how I'm using my gift in this context. That, that ministry might be to a neighbor. That ministry might be to uh, someone or someone's in the church body. And it's not really an official ministry. It's your ministry because you received it from God. From the Lord. And then it says that God's responsible for the effects or the results of that ministry. He's the one who brings the increase, right? One plants, one waters, God gives the growth. Love that passage. Spirit gives the gifts, the Lord assigns the ministries, and God's responsible for the effects and the, re- and the results and the fruit. And sometimes the fruit comes quickly, sometimes the fruit doesn't come, but you don't know that it's there. All I'm saying is that if the Apostle Paul says, I want to finish what? The ministry that I received from the Lord to testify to the gospel of the grace of God, is there somebody who needs a ministry of the grace of God in their life? Is there somebody in your circle who needs Jesus? Doesn't know him. They don't care about it, but they need Jesus. Is there someone I know there is? Whatever that ministry looks like, receive it from God. Receive it from God. Colossians 4.17, Paul writes and says to Archippus, take heed to your ministry that you fulfill it. That you do it. That you realize it. That you exercise it. And what is that ministry to live faithfully, obviously, but uh, testifying to the gospel of the grace of God by who you are and by what you do? What's the job description? You say, well, I'm trying to figure it out. I'm listening to you. Where's the bottom line on this thing? (sighs) 
I couldn't find the verse, but I know the truth of it. Back in the Old Testament, David was told by the Lord that you are not going to build the temple. You're a man of war. But I want you to collect all the stuff that's needed for the building of the temple, which he did. You can read about it. He says to Solomon, I have done my part. I collected all the materials and God's given you the privilege of building a house for him. It's that way with ministry. You never finish all of it, right? (laughs) What you do is you do your part. And as I think about the three resolutions for 2023, here's how I think of it. One is a change of focus. Don't let your life get in the way of your walk with God. A self-sovereignty that focuses on what we want, what we feel, and what we think we need. Let God be God in your life. Let God be God in my life. Change your focus. Don't make comfort your priority. Don't compromise a walk of faith by being unwilling to risk when God puts you in a situation where you've got to stand for what you believe or do what you know God is telling you to do. Change your focus. Finish your course. Make sure you are going God's way. You may need a course adjustment because you've been doing it it your way instead of his. Finish your course. Don't quit and don't drop out. And thirdly, fulfill your ministry. You received it from God, and if you're not sure what that is, well, ask him. Don't you think that God would answer that prayer? Lord, I'm looking for ministry. (laughs) So the Spirit of God says to you, ah, that's all right. You're off the hook. You can do whatever well, you do whatever you want. No, he'll let you know what that is. It may be a person. It may be a, a, a small group. It may be what? Where you live, where you work. I don't know what it would be, but ask God to show you what that ministry is. And what? It'll include someone or someone's to reach with the testimony of the gospel of the grace of God. A God given goal to realize. Hmm. Who do you need to reach with the gospel? A job description for 2023. Get the focus off yourself. Finish your course. Fulfill your ministry. I close with a question. What's going to rule you in 2023? Your life, a focus on self, or your calling? What's your calling? What is it? Finish your course. Fulfill your ministry. Pray with me, would you please? Father, thank you for the word of God that lives and abides forever. It's profitable to teach us what we don't know. To convict us about what's not right in our lives. To correct us and get us back on course. And to instruct us in righteous living. Father, we know the answer to the need of the world, and it's solved by new life in Christ, a change from the inside. People need to be born again, and you have given us the ultimate and wonderful privilege to share the the grace of God in Christ 
with those who don't know him. To build up the body of Christ through the gifts that you've given. And Father, to walk with Jesus and to finish our course and to fulfill our ministry. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.